Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of the Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. The Lord bless and keep you. May His face shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. This episode will be continuing our study of the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you have a Bible with you, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and follow along while I read the first 12 verses. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you were doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So far in this letter, we have observed that Paul has a great fondness and affection for these Christians that he left behind in Thessalonica after only knowing them three weeks. After being separated from them, he sends Timothy back to them to see how they're doing and to help them be more firm in their faith. And when Timothy comes back, he brings this glowing report. And as this chapter opens, we see Paul giving an exhortation to these Christians to keep doing what they've been doing, but even go beyond that, to do it more and more, he says. And his reason for making sure they know that this needs to keep going, that they're not finished, is because he tells them that it is God's will for them to be sanctified. Remember verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he goes on and explains basically what sanctification looks like. But it's God's desire that his people be sanctified. Let's make sure we understand what sanctification is. If you look at the Greek word that gets translated sanctification, it comes through a Hebrew understanding of holiness or, or being clean. It's this process of being cleaned up. Now, when we all come to Christ, we are sinners and we are washed by his blood, but there's an ongoing process of removing the sin that is within us and changing or transforming the way we think and see things and becoming more and more pure. So there is our 
justification that happens when we make our decision to follow Christ, but there is a sanctification that continues on through the rest of our life where we become more and more clean, more and more holy so that God can use us for his purposes. So sanctification is this being cleaned and set apart for a particular use. You can uh, see examples of this in your daily lives. Uh, A surgeon, before he goes in to do an operation, will have a set of surgery tools that will be sterilized and set apart for this one particular surgery. That is, in a very real way, what Paul says God does for us in cleaning us up. And the cleaner we are, the more effective we are at fulfilling his purposes. So God's will is that we are a sanctified people. And Paul goes on to give a brief description of what that sanctification looks like in the life of a Christian. What is that sterilization process that goes on for Christians in their spiritual lives? Well, what's included in that? The first thing he mentions, and he mentions it a couple of times in here, is that we need to continue to grow. We can't be stagnant. There's no such thing as a plateau in our spiritual development. We're either growing or increasing, or we're declining or decreasing in our faith. And so the call is to continue to grow. And so a couple of times Paul says, you're already doing the things I'm talking about, but it needs more. You need to do it more. It needs to be more and more evident and more and more practiced among you. God desires that we become more and more clean in our lives so we continue to grow in our understanding of what sin is, of the damage it does, of why it's good for it to be removed from us. We continue to grow. We continue to see things the way that God sees them, and it changes and transforms our interactions with the world. It changes and transforms how we act as parents, as spouses, as workers at our job, at at every aspect of our lives. Sanctification, first and foremost, is a continual growth. But he also mentions other things in here. Uh, That sanctification is remembering how to live and please God. In any pursuit in life, we have to make changes, adapt, so that we can accomplish the purpose that is before us. But as this letter shows us, for a Christian, uh, those purposes are God's purposes. So we have to live in a way that pleases God. We have to remember that all of our actions are a reflection on Him. And to achieve his purposes, we must be acting and thinking and talking in ways that honor him so that his purposes are achieved. Paul also mentions the need in verse 2 about the instruction he had given them. He had told them what they needed to do. So another aspect of this sanctification we need to realize is that we're full of knowledge. We, We take the instructions that come to us and we make them a part of our lives and a part of our person, a part of our personalities. Uh, We want to be full of knowledge. But even as Paul alludes to this knowledge that's so important in our sanctification, he makes a couple of points. In verse 8, Paul says, you know, I've told you these things, and if you disregard this, realize you're not disregarding me, you're disregarding God who gave you the Holy Spirit. 
the teacher is not more important than the message. We will receive instruction in a variety of ways. We may go to church and have a preacher or a teacher talk to us about things that are in Scripture. We may see things online or see things on TV. Even listening to this podcast, we're looking at the Word of God and we're drawing out lessons. But for this podcast, for example, I am not the important part. It's the message that comes right out of Scripture that's the important part. We need to realize that when we see things in Scripture, that's from God. And just finding someone who says something different or someone who tells us that we're doing okay doesn't matter. What we've got to do is fully know what God wants and listen to that message. The teacher is not more important than the message. If the message is from God, we've got to listen to it and act on it. And Paul kind of uh, makes the point here as he reminds them about doing things more than more is some, some messages we never hear enough. There are some messages that no matter how well we're doing, it, it does us well to hear again what we need to do. In verse 10, Paul says, uh, I know you're doing this throughout Macedonia, but we urge you to do it more and more. I know that you're good at loving people, but don't forget to love people. That's the most important lesson that Jesus said we can learn as his followers, to love other people. And so some messages we need to hear over and over again. We need to be reminded. We need to experience in a variety of ways to make sure that it's ingrained in us. Because being full of knowledge on that experiential level is important in our sanctification, in being more and more pure, in responding to God in better and better ways. But Paul mentions another thing here that's a very important aspect of our sanctification, and it's one that I think is often overlooked. And that is, uh, well, let's just look at verse 4. Paul says he wants each one of them to know how to control their own bodies in holiness and honor. He wants them to use self-control. He goes on in the next verse to say, I I don't want you giving in to your passions the way the Gentiles do. A lot of times we're tempted to to think that because we're passionate about something that God has given us something to motivate us to to do a particular act. But very often, those things we're most passionate about are actually going against God's will, against God's desires. And But we're using that passion as an excuse to participate in it. Giving into our passion only works when we're passionate about God's purposes. We can't give in to our physical desires, our passions, just because we experience them. We have to evaluate them against God's purposes and only give in to those that further his purposes. We've got to allow God's space to work. We don't just go running off doing whatever we feel like doing. That can actually be Satan tempting us and pulling us away from God's will. What we do is allow God the space to work and do whatever he wants us to do. We use our self-control to choose to do the things that God wants. 
I often hear people who are guilty of a sin, especially if it's something that that happens a lot. Maybe they uh, gossip a lot. Maybe they get angry very quickly and sin in that anger. Maybe they have a difficult time drinking without getting drunk or being around members of the opposite sex without giving in to a physical temptation. And when that happens, people will say something to the effect, well, I'm only human, as if our humanness is somehow a failing. Somehow that holds us back from being the people that God wants us to be. But the reality is exactly the opposite. Because we're human, because we have self-control, remember, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Paul tells Timothy later that we've been given a spirit of power and love and self-control. We have this capacity to control our behavior and our thoughts and our attitudes, but not all of us take it. Uh, Some of us use uh, our desires and our passions as an excuse to sin rather than using our self-control as a reason to avoid the sin. Think about a Labrador Retriever. Wonderful dogs. I love them. They're so friendly. They're kind. But they have impulse control issues. When it comes to food, it is very difficult to get a lab to stop eating. If there's food there, they want to eat it, and they'll continue to consume it. Labs will actually eat well beyond when they're full. There's food there. They think they're supposed to eat it, and they lack the impulse control. So we have to take the food away or limit the portion or in in some way help them uh, not overeat and become overweight. That's part of their instinct. It's part of what's born into them. But human beings, because we're not animals. We're we're created in the image of God. We have this capacity to control ourselves. And yes, there are times that that control is difficult because we've gotten so used to giving in to sin. But that's where the power of God comes in and the Holy Spirit that's mentioned in this chapter. It's part of that cleansing process, but, but it empowers us The Holy Spirit empowers us with self-control so that we don't have to give in to our passions. So that seems to be Paul's description of what it means to be sanctified. We continue to grow. We live to please God. We're full of knowledge and we use the self-control that we've been given by the Spirit. And remember, Paul told us in verse 3 that it it is God's desire, it is God's will that we are sanctified. Very often when we're trying to uh, imagine what is God's will for our life, we overlook passages like this that make it very plain. And we want God to tell us if it's okay to do A or B. And very often A and B are both bad choices. They're selfish choices. They're things that promote ourselves. God wants us to be more and more clean, more and more holy. He wants our decision making to allow him to, to transform us, to shape us. We get to make the decisions, but God is calling us to something that makes us more pure. So when we're deciding uh, between options, we need to look for the one that makes us more pure, that, that makes us more able to do what God wants us to do. And if it's not obvious how God can use us or shape us or teach us in, in a given circumstance, maybe we need to keep looking till we find other options. God's desire is that we be a people who are sanctified because he has purposes for us. 
we learn elsewhere in scripture that we were created for good works. We're told in scripture that we are stewards of God's creation and the blessings that he gives us. God has charged us with the care of his creation. So we have to be careful not to misuse that privilege. Remember what Paul says here? He didn't want anyone to transgress or wrong his brother because the Lord is the avenger of these things. And he had told them beforehand and solemnly warned them. He had said, it's very important that you not misuse other people. God made those people and they're very special to him. And the things we do for them need to help them and not hinder them. See, God made things to be used and people to be loved. And we've got to keep that straight because we live in a society who very often loves things but uses people. Christians aren't supposed to be that way. When we look at the things that are going on in our society and the way that uh, politicians of both parties manipulate uh, people within those parties to try to stay in power and to get their way, we have to realize that is not what God created us for. Yes, we have a vote and we can exercise that right to vote, but getting tied up in that political mindset can often keep us away from the very purposes that God has given us to be passionate about people and loving them and taking care of them. God made things to be used and people to be loved. So Paul has told the Christians in Thessalonica that it is God's will, God's desire for them to be sanctified because he has purposes for them. And they have things that they need to do and it's important that they're clean for it. Why do we have to be holy? Why do we have to be these people who are, as the last chapter said, fixed in holiness? Well, it's because the way outsiders view us determine how effective we'll be in fulfilling God's purposes. If you look again at the society around us, one of the big impediments uh, for Christianity's growth is the behavior of people who call themselves Christians. People who are not Christians look at the uh, anger and the vitriol and the, uh, the hypocrisy and they go, why would I ever want to be one of those guys? When we do things God's way, we will be seen by outsiders in a way that is more effective uh, than if we're fighting darkness with darkness. In verses 11 and 12 in this chapter, Paul was telling the Thessalonians that they needed to uh, aspire to live quiet lives and to mind their own business and to work with their hands and and, and be productive members of society without uh, causing problems for other people. This is important because we want to have credibility when we're saying things about God and about Jesus. If we're trying to convince the rest of the world that following Christ is the best way to live life, we need some things in our life that that show we have credibility, that show that we are not hypocrites, but we have actually devoted ourselves to this way of life, and it is better than the worldly alternatives. Our credibility is important, but the other reasons that that we need to be productive within our society without relying on, on others is we don't want to depend on ungodly people to help us stay godly. 
I again see this so often in our current society as as people who call themselves Christians are calling out to the government to to set things right and make things go a certain way and and to pass laws that that match God's laws and things like that and and nowhere in scripture are we told that we should look for political solutions, that we should look to ungodly people to bring about godliness and righteousness. Over and over again, when there's a need for that, God goes to his people and says, I need you to start living like my people. I need you to repent. I need you to turn back to me. I need you to call on my name and become these examples, these lights to the rest of the world that that show them what the best of life looks like when you listen to my instruction and do what I say. God does that over and over, but over and over we see his people forgetting that and thinking that there's some safety and security in aligning ourselves, allying ourselves with ungodly people. Trust me when I say I'm not picking on one political side or another. I I see evidence on both of Christians looking to their political party to save our nation. Paul tells the folks in Thessalonica, people who lived under an evil dictator, that, that the way that you make the most of this life is not to rely on ungodly people to make things right. You rely on God to make those things right, and that happens as we submit to this purpose of His of being sanctified. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter.